John chapter 16, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 7. John 16, verses 5 through 7. And considering the solace of the Spirit, John 16, verses 5 through 7. Give attention to God's holy word. But now I go away, I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon, having worshipped this morning and feasted upon the body and blood of Christ and feasted together during our fellowship meal. We come now once again, O Lord, to feast with you upon your word, asking you to feed us upon the Lord Jesus by faith and to that end that you would pour out your spirit, quickening us so that we might be well fed by your word. And we pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Sorrow is, sadly, a reality in this life. Because we live in a fallen world, a world that is under the curse, in many ways this life is a veil of tears, a valley of weeping. There is no getting around that. There is no way to escape the reality of sin and God's curse upon sin death itself. The presence of sorrow is oftentimes the experience of Christians. And in the experience of Christians, when we have sorrow in our hearts, it can sometimes be a great discouragement. It can be a great hindrance to serving the Lord. The Proverbs speak about when the heart is sorrowful, Nothing seems to go right. In this passage, we're going to be taught about sorrow. And we're going to be taught about the solution to sorrow. Now, the solution to our sorrows is not a mechanical solution. I think when we deal with matters of the heart, often in our day, we, we make the mistake of the psychologists and the scientists who look at us merely as machines to be tinkered with. If you have sorrow, do this and get rid of that and the sorrow will go away. Poof, problem solved. You see, the real source of sorrow, especially for the Christian, is not because there's something wrong with the gears. It's not because there's something wrong in the program. It's because of separation. Because the person whom we love is far from us. And as long as we are not near him, as Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians, to be present in the body is to be absent from the Lord. 
Much rather, we would rather be present with the Lord. So when we have sorrow, because of this separation, there's only one solution. And that's the solace of the Spirit. What we're going to learn in this passage is that sorrow in the Christian life comes when we look away from Christ. Looking away from Christ causes us to misinterpret Christ. And the sorrow of the Christian is only removed by the Spirit of Christ. Sorrow in the Christian life comes when we look away from Christ, when we misinterpret Christ, and it's only removed by the Spirit of Christ. We're going to see three things in this passage. Verse 5 is looking away from Christ. Verse 6 is misinterpreting Christ. Verse 7 is the Spirit of Christ. Verse 5, looking away from Christ. Verse 6, misinterpreting Christ. And verse 7, the Spirit of Christ. Notice as we get into this very small portion of this broader section, Christ is now... He, he, he says to them in verse 5, Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks, none of you asks me, Where are you going? Notice that Christ begins by saying, I'm going away to him who sent me. This is a phrase, especially in this section of John's Gospel, where Christ is describing the accomplishment of his redemptive work. Christ was sent by the Father to bear witness to the truth, to die for his people's sins, and now Christ is on the verge, the eve, of entering into his sufferings, and after his sufferings, his glory when he turns, returns back to the Father. He is about to go back to the one who sent him. This is the completion of his redemptive work. Look with me in, in Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 25 and 26. The exaltation of Christ, His return to the presence of His Father, is as much a part of the Gospel as His death on the cross. Look at what He says in verses 25 and 26 of Luke 24. This is the Emmaus Road. The disciples are going. We thought this Jesus was the one who would be king of Israel and now he's been crucified and buried. Look at what Christ says to them. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered into his glory? Notice that Christ says the prophets taught you these things. The Old Testament described these things. And so if you thought he was the Christ, if you knew that he is the Christ, you should be expecting him to die and rise again. You should be looking for him to enter into his glory. Likewise in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter in the same vein. Chapter 1, verse 10. 
Peter writes and says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied to you of the grace that would come, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand, notice the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. God's work of redemption didn't end at the cross. As we learned this morning, God's work of redemption is completed in the exaltation of Christ. You can't have the cross without the crown. And so Christ is telling them, I'm going back to my Father. I'm receiving my crown. I'm going to be enthroned and enter into my glory. Look at what Peter says. Verse 12. To the prophets it was revealed... That not to themselves, but unto us, they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you from the Holy Spirit, uh, by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Look carefully, things which angels desire to look into. So Christ is telling them, I'm returning to him who sent me, I'm going back to my glory. I'm receiving my kingdom and accomplishing the work that I came to accomplish, fulfilling all of my Father's will. The prophets have been prophesying this. But the disciples are looking away from Christ. What I mean by looking away from Christ is they're not seeing Christ the way the Scriptures present Him. They're not looking at Christ the way the prophets and the apostles describe Him. They, they, they have fashioned, uh, I shouldn't say they've fashioned, they're understanding Christ's departure not according to the Scriptures, but according to their own understandings. Just a little tidbit here. Do you think angels are ever sorrowful? They're not, by the way. Angels are never sorrowful. One of the reasons, Peter tells us right here in verse 12, they are constantly looking at Christ and his glorious work. Their eyes are never taken off of Christ. Peter uses very evocative language. He says that angels desire to look into these things. They desire to behold more of the glory of Christ. They look at Christ and never look away. And they're never full of sadness. Notice back in John 16, there's another clue that the disciples are not really looking at Christ. They're not thinking about Christ, and their minds are not set upon Christ. John 16:5, he follows his statement: I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? The focus of the sorrowful heart is upon self. The heart that's full of sorrow and that produces sorrow is focused on self. The disciples are. Christ is their friend. Christ is their teacher. Christ is their master. He's going to the cross and he's told them glorious things about going to his father's house and none of them asks him, How are you doing? Where are you going? What is going to happen to you? All they're thinking about is what's happening to us. 
They do not ask him about his affairs, but are only focused on their own sense of loss. Paul says in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let not every man think on his own affairs, but on the affairs of others. In lowliness of mind, considering others better than yourself. That includes our griefs. That includes our sorrows. That includes times when our hearts are overflowing within us with pain and tribulation. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.2, we looked at this this morning, 2 Timothy 3.2, that dangerous times come when people are lovers of themselves, focused on themselves, concerned primarily about themselves, what I'm going through, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I'm enduring. Here is a great test for our souls. Here's a great way to test ourselves. What occupies our thoughts the most? Me, myself, and I? Or the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not giving you pious pious platitudes. Don't, Don't hear me saying, think about Jesus and it'll all get better. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if your inner monologue or your outer monologue is populated with me, myself, and I, you're going to be sad. Because you and I, brothers and sisters, are not very glorious. I am not worthy of my own attention. Christ, the exalted one, is worthy of my attention. And so this is a way to test ourselves. This is a good spiritual exercise. The the scriptures speak about mortification of the flesh. Christ said to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and follow after me. That includes in our thinking. It's a great way to test yourselves to see what might be going on in your mind and heart. Well, the disciples are looking away from Christ, meaning they're not, they're not seeing him the way they ought to see him. They're also misinterpreting Christ. Look at what he says now in verse 6. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. This is a reference to all of his doctrine up to this point. Chapter 14, verse 1, up to chapter 16, verse 4. He said all these things to them. The general theme of what he has told them, I'm going away. I am departing. Very very movingly in John uh, 14, we saw this. Calvin, uh, or maybe it was uh, J.C. Rao, but Calvin comments. Chapter 14, verse 27, it's a very poignant scene. Verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance everything I've said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now in the the language of the day, first century Hebrew, what he's saying then is goodbye, farewell, I will see you later. He's giving his final goodbyes to them. 
He said these things, and sorrow has filled their hearts. Recall also, every time Christ says, I'm going away, farewell, I will see you later. He's preaching gospel doctrine to them. Christ in His person was not only the the gospel incarnate, but He was teaching the gospel about Himself to the disciples here in this speech, the upper room discourse. So He's giving them good gospel doctrine. I'm the Christ. I'm the Son of the Most High. I and my Father are one. All authority has been given to me, and now I am going away. Farewell. I will see you later. This is gospel doctrine, brothers and sisters. He's going to accomplish His work. The purpose of the gospel is to bring joy to sinners. The gospel is meant to cause us to rejoice. Look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. He's thanking God for the Thessalonians and he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The, the gospel doctrines are meant to lift our hearts all the way to heaven itself. You do know that our English word gospel, we hear it so much. The word means good news. And the gospel is good news. And if we receive good news, we rejoice for joy. Christ, at one point in the Upper Room Discourse, uh, uses an illustration from family life. We all have heard good news of great joy. We all rejoiced at the birth of Alexander James. And, And Christ speaks about His own gospel work similar to that. When the good news comes to us, it's supposed to bring us joy and rejoicing. Well, the disciples are misinterpreting Christ. Go back to verse 6 of John 16. I have said these things to you. I've preached the gospel to you in living color, in surround sound HD TV. And yet these things, uh, and yet these things, and yet sorrow has filled your heart. Sometimes sorrow can be such that it overflows all things. Notice he says sorrow has filled your heart. Look at Psalm 42. Many Psalms you could look at that speak of this, but Psalm 42. Psalm 42 verses 1 through 4. To the chief musician a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. 
You understand the image that he's using. Sorrow has so filled him that his soul is, as it were, a cup. And the cup is overflowing and he has to dump it out. Because it will overflow his entire life. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. With a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. It's in this state, brothers and sisters, when sorrow has filled our hearts, that we are most in danger of falling away. It is in that state, what the psalmist describes, what the disciples are feeling, that we are most in danger of falling away. If the emotions are what we live by, they will lead us astray. There are many who live in such a way. Look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verses 20 and 21. This is the parable of the sower. But I want you to notice, one of the soils he describes, verses 20 and 21. But he who received the seed on stony places... This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Notice that the stony ground hearer is one who is led by his emotions. He receives the preaching of the gospel, the sound of good news with joy. I want some of that. And then when persecution comes, when the rain clouds gather in the veil of tears, when opposition for the sake of the word comes, they stumble because sorrow has filled their heart. Notice the word stumble in Matthew 13. It's the same word we looked at last week. These things will happen to you, but I say this to you that you may not be scandalized. It's the same Greek word. So Christ is warning them against this danger of falling away when sorrow fills their hearts. The purpose of gospel doctrine is to bring Christ glory the purpose and the point of the gospel is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and it is in his exaltation that we find our chief joy it is in his exaltation that we glory with him even as Paul the apostle says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 Christ who is your life when he appears In glory, you will be glorified with Him. Likewise, also for our emotional state today, the gospel message is meant to exalt Christ. It's not meant to exalt us. It's not meant to lift us up. Even as John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase. And it's in the exaltation of Christ that we find our chief 
joy. Not in our own exaltation. This is the great paradox of the Christian life. One of them. It's, it's, it's the great thing that the world does not understand. Read some of Paul's letters, 2 Corinthians especially. He speaks about all the trials he went through, and he said, I'm beaten up and crushed and, and run over, but I'm not discouraged. I rejoice all the way while people throw dead cats and spit in my face, but I'm rejoicing all the way. Why? Because Christ is exalted. And he's able to exalt me with him whenever he wants. Brothers and sisters, gospel doctrine is meant to exalt Christ. And that's where you find your chief joy. Well, Christ has has given us, at least in the persons of the disciples, these sources of sorrow, not looking to Christ, misunderstanding Christ, misinterpreting Christ in the gospel. But now he shows us the solution for sorrow. It's in the solace of the Spirit. Verse 7, Christ tells them, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Remember, this sorrow for the Christian comes from separation. At one level, the disciples, you completely understand it. He is their Lord. They love Him. Don't leave us. But Christ says it's better. Because if I go away, my work is complete. Uh, But if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. It is better for Christ to go away so that the Spirit might come. Now I want you to think about this. He's going to explain further what, what this means when the Spirit comes, especially for them as ministers, but... Just at this level, why is it better that Christ should depart and the Spirit should come? Because the Spirit does something that the incarnate Christ was never meant to do. You see, the incarnate Christ, if if we could imagine this lawfully, Christ was in the body in front of them. And they were close to him. In fact, the the very intimate description says that John the disciple was leaning on the chest of Christ. Very intimate, close communion with Christ. He was near to them as near as their skin. But what the Holy Spirit does is he brings Christ so near to you that he's closer than your skin. He brings Christ right into your heart. And He causes Christ to dwell at the center of your very being. Not right here embracing with the body, but in the heart embraced spiritually. The Spirit brings Christ closer than He could ever come while He was in the body. And Paul the Apostle prays to this end for the church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Perhaps my favorite prayer in the whole New Testament. And we'll conclude with this. The presence of the Spirit is the solace 
for the Christian's sorrow. Because it is by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ comes nearer to us than we could ever enjoy him while he was in the body. And so Paul, on behalf of the church, prays this prayer. Listen carefully to how Paul prays. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, listen, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice, the intimacy we need with Christ is far more intimate than we can imagine or that we can even handle. Paul says, I want you to be strengthened so that He can dwell in your hearts. We can't handle the thing we need. But the Spirit enables us to enjoy it. The Spirit enables us to have Christ in our hearts. The Spirit enables us to be filled with the glory and the presence of God. Look at what he says. Verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with the saints what's the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Remember when Solomon built his temple, he prayed that great prayer of dedication. They brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And the glory of the Lord came down and filled the temple to such a magnitude that the priests had to stay away. They couldn't go in until it calmed down, so to speak. Paul is saying that by the Spirit in your heart, you are filled with the knowledge of Christ to such an extent that there's no room for anything else. This is the solace for our sorrows. The presence of Christ by the Spirit in the heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and for the Spirit that he has poured out. We pray that you would strengthen us, that we might know the love of Christ and that Christ might dwell in our hearts, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Please keep all of our tears in your bottle. Write them down in your book, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.